Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. In today's episode, we have a great conversation with Will Gibbons, a product rendering guru who works with huge brands like Peloton, 3M, Vizio, and more. After a year of working for himself, Will is facing perhaps one of the best problems you can ask for as a freelancer. He's having trouble scaling because he's got too many client requests coming in and too much work that needs done. So in this episode, Clay and I walk him through a few hiring, scaling, and management tips to help him move up the freelance to founder scale and grow his business without losing control of it. We talk about pricing, sales, hiring, and lots more in a conversation you won't want to miss. We'll get started right after this quick message from our sponsors. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Okay, we are excited to be uh, back on the air today here with our friend, Will Gibbons. Thanks for joining us, Will. Yeah, thanks for uh, allowing me to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, joining us on the air today is Clay Mosley from gitdripify.com. Hey, Clay, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, I'm pumped to, to chat with you guys today because right before we pushed record, Will actually said... Uh, you know, when I signed up a month ago for this coaching call, some things have changed. And now I want to talk about scaling because I'm just getting basically, or I'm reading between the lines that basically he's getting a lot of inbound leads. So that's a great problem to have. And I think it'll make for a great conversation today. Will, let's back up though, just a little bit and and start off the episode by telling Clay and I and the listeners a little bit about your current business. Yeah, no problem. So I'm the owner of Will Gibbons Design, and I'm an industrial designer who's become more of a rendering expert over the years. And I create visuals for businesses that design and sell like physical products. Uh, Everything I create is CGI or done in the computer. And um, so I normally begin with like a 3D model of a product. And then I use a render engine, uh, which is like a virtual studio um, in the computer to create cameras, lighting, materials, animations. And then I render those out to either an image or an animation for post-processing. And then the result that I get from that is like a photo real image often used for say e-commerce or social media marketing or packaging or product launches. And so the benefit of going with CGI is that um, I'm not bound by limitations that most photographers and videographers would face. So I can create images before the physical product is actually manufactured and it's often cheaper and more flexible than photography, especially with larger and more expensive products. So 
that's kind of what I do. And I've been doing that on my own for, I, I guess this month marks one year. So not congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I haven't been at this full time for terribly long. Yeah. I, my mind was actually blown a little while ago when I realized I was watching car commercials and the cars were completely CGI. Like down on the bottom, it said something about them being CGI. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold on a minute. Car commercials don't actually have the cars in them anymore. I feel like everything's like everything we see on a screen is CGI these days, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, there's a good chance of it. It's technology and the um, the software and hardware has come a long way lately, for sure. So yeah, share with us maybe a recent uh, a project that you've really enjoyed or an example of something that you've done so that we can get a, a, a clearer grasp of the kind of work that you do. Yeah, so a lot of what I work on is protected by NDAs, of course, uh, given that yeah, sure. there are um, upcoming products or, um, you know, for whatever reason. But uh, most often what I'm work who I'm working with is uh, kind of mid to large businesses who have consumer electronics, uh, personally just... Uh, out of my own interest, I try to work with companies who create products that I think do good for the world. So I like to work with companies who enable artists and other creatives. So whether it's musical gear, audio gear, um, you know, uh, technology that allows people to consume media, uh, TVs and, and, and stuff like that. Um, that's been a bulk majority of it, but, um, it's not limited to that. Like, do you, do you have a completed project you could tell us about? Yeah. So um, right now, uh, let's see the last, probably the most visible or most familiar project is, um, Peloton. They do those, uh, fitness bikes as well as uh, yeah. a treadmill. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a perfect example or case study just because that's a really large product and they didn't have the final units yet when CES rolled around, but they needed all of their marketing imagery to unveil it. So that was a good example, um, of where, you know, I could work with their team, their talent, um, the models that would be on there, but then also use the CGI element to deliver what they needed uh, when they needed it. That's really cool. That's legit, man. That's a, that's a big deal. Thanks. Um, and then, yeah, there's, I, I talk about it, but it's, you know, the next product that I just finished up is, uh, launching in like two days. So just kind of have to be patient there, but, um, all right. Well, maybe uh, maybe by the time we actually publish this episode, we can throw it in the show notes. We'll we'll leave that little teaser for the listeners. You can go ahead and click it down in the show notes, and we'll we'll uh, we'll link to the project if we can. There, Will, does that sound okay? Awesome. That's great. I love it. Okay. Cool. So so you used to work at a company that trained people to use the software you use. Is that right? Did I understand that right? Yeah. So I've got kind of a winding journey, but the short version of it is uh, one of the software that I used as an industrial designer to actually design products does this rendering, which is all I focus on now. So I became familiar with that through my school uh, when I went to school for product design. But then later, I was hired uh, by the company that makes that software simply because I was creating free YouTube tutorials and they thought I taught it better than... um, Oh, nice. Then the resources they had available. So they hired me to do that uh, on train or sorry, on site training in a formal capacity. And that way I would be sent to their customers around the world and work with design teams. So I did that for three years and that's how I became so fluent with the software. And then I eventually parted ways just so I could um, be open to opportunities to work with these companies instead of just teaching them how to use it. It's incredible. I love it. And now you've been doing that for a year. Uh, it sounds like you have some really great clients already. And my guess is when you have clients of that caliber, then they also send you other clients of similar caliber. 
So it sounds like things are chugging along well. Yeah, really the the there's there's a couple things I was fortunate enough to build a bit of a reputation um for better or for worse uh doing the training that I was doing being the voice behind a lot of tutorials and videos and so um even though I left the the company um that I was at a lot of the people knew where to find me after the fact so yeah it's always nice and a and a classic tale of a freelancer doing great work at a company and then deciding to go out on their own, but, re- but not burning those bridges. So you can actually leverage those relationships later on in, in your own business. Yeah. And that's a great point. I actually later next week, am doing a webinar for the company, my previous employer, because again, we are on great terms. We work together. Um, it's, it's, it's really within no one's interest to, uh, try to cut ties at that point. You know, you know what I love about this is so many freelancers wonder whether they should, after school, whether they should just start freelancing on their own or whether they should go work somewhere for a while. You know, I'd love, Will, your take. I'd love, Clay, your take. This, for me, though, points out something that I'm always preaching, which is you can build so many impactful relationships, even in just a short amount of time, three, five years, which maybe doesn't feel short when you're just getting out of college, but it really is a short amount of time. Um, You can build some amazing relationships that then lead you to not only understanding how the business works and how to work with clients and how to do the actual work day to day, but also you build relationships that can bring you referrals for your business down the road. It can be a very wise way to go instead of just starting from scratch straight out of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Whenever anyone asks me on my for my opinion on that, since I am freelancing now, I always tell them the same thing. I say, go get a job somewhere. You'll learn a ton. Just a few years. You know, I, I totally think that's that's clutch. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I, I tend to lean on the other side. <laughs> I, I I do agree. I do agree that uh, if you don't have, if you're very, if your skills are very elementary, um, I think it's, I think it's crucial to go and work for someone and, and, and learn those skills. Um, I think, I think what to me, for me is, and the reason I'm saying this is because when I first started as a freelancer, my my design skills they just sucked, and I will be straight up about that. <laughs> uh, and and the first website I ever built, it's still out there. I'm not ever going to share what it is, <laughs> but it's still there. And I sometimes <laughs> I look at it and I cringe, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I I built this. However, I will say this though: there, no matter what no matter what uh, level skill set you you're at, because there's always going to be somebody that's better than you. Um, there's the other side of the coin is there's always going to be somebody that's worse than you and needs your skills to make something happen. And so, you know, at that time, it, it just reminds me of the fact that that client s- still needed to hire somebody like me and the product that I produced was satisfactory to them. And so I think like no matter what level you are with your skill set, I think there's still a market out there for it. Um, and but so like going to that question, I think it all depends on whether or not you can sell it. That That's my thing. Yeah, but but you're all about clay, you're all about like the warm leads warming up a lead like imagine you know, you, you go work somewhere for three or five years and you build relationships with people at companies like Peloton and then you leave there and they know that you're amazing at the work that you do because you've been working with them for three years. I, mean, I don't know if that's how that happened, Will, obviously, but but like, I, you know, I've seen that happen 
in my own work, I've seen it happen with other freelancers. There's like no better way or no, maybe not better way. There's perhaps no easier way to mm-hmm. all of a sudden build a, a network of potential clients than by kind of mooching off of an employer for a few years uh, to, to build that Rolodex. I don't know. It maybe maybe it's not worth the, the sacrifice. I don't think there's a wrong I don't think there's a wrong decision here in my opinion. Yeah. I, okay. I think there's pros and cons to both sides. Um it's just uh, I think the question is do you want to develop relationships on uh, with your brand but you're you're going to be struggling I think at the beginning for sure. Um or do you want to develop relationships on somebody else's dime um you know while while you're you know basically getting paid a, a salary or or yeah. You know, you know, I'm saying, you know, I'm saying it's like, yeah, I, I think there's pros and cons. I don't think there's a right. Yeah, definitely. Because then right. you also run the risk of like, of, you know, you leave and they stick with the company instead of, yeah, instead there's of always that hiring way. you. Right. So there, there are definitely pros and cons to each side. Well, and I think the main thing that both are valid, I think it really personality wise is huge. I know as a designer myself and a lot of my peers, the technical creation of the work that that they're employed to do is not the challenge. The challenge is um, personal relationships, communication, being charismatic, learning how to interact with people, how to sell something, how to have the confidence. And all of that for me was learned uh, on the job because I was the face of a company and I would go out to work with, you know, companies, whether it was, you know, Tesla, Nissan, uh, I don't know, Mm. Apple, whoever, big companies like that, Dell, whatever. Um, that had a lot of clout. So at first I would go there being uh, a bit intimidated, but then I had to remember that I was there because I was an expert at something and they were hiring me. So it didn't matter that people who I was teaching had been in the industry far longer than I had. It's that I had, like you said, some valuable information that they could still learn from. And so by repetition of that, that built the confidence that I could then later go out on my own and and use. And the other thing was, like you said, taking advantage of that time, I was just as active on social media for those three years that I was employed with that company than I as I am now. In fact, probably more so. I just kept building, 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 and letting people know what I was doing constantly. And that is kind of what helped make that um, decision to leave a lot easier. It's mm. a very good point. Yeah, I like that. It's um, you know, I I, I think I think. Uh, you mentioned a, a lot of good points, like just having the personality, the like how much risk are you willing to take, um, knowing the business side of things. And so um, I, I'd like to add on to that. Like, I actually think the the, the perfect answer <laughs> is uh, uh, is to go go work for somebody um, as your quote unquote day job. But at night, maybe you're developing something on the side. Uh, and you're generating the revenue. And then as your side gig, you know, generates enough revenue to replace or almost replace your, your what pay you're getting from your day job. In addition to that, you're also developing skills. Um, I think that's probably the perfect point to to leave your your day job and go freelance. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I mean, Far too often we see people who want to freelance, they get a job for the interim and then they're just stuck there or they mm-hmm. end up climbing the ladder or the golden handcuffs or whatever analogy you want to use. They, they just end up stuck. It, it is a it is a fine balance for sure. It's a lot of work too, right? You're almost working oh, yeah. 
two, you, you work in two jobs. And I think the problem is that uh, from a lot of people that I, I talk to is uh, just straight up. They're, they're lazy to do the, the side job, mm-hmm. their side gig. And so, you know, so I don't many, know. Yeah. So many people want the results, but they don't want to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Will, I want to chat a little bit about where you're at currently with your business then. It sounds like business has been good. You're getting a fair amount of inbound leads. You're obviously working with some brands that are familiar, recognizable, have good budgets. Our listeners know that when we send a questionnaire to people who want to jump on a call, that we ask where you currently are on the freelancer to founder scale. And you said, Will, that you are currently a one. You're completely a freelancer. You do all the work. You find all the clients, you build the clients, you run the business, and you do the creative work, you do it all. Uh, and and that you would like to, in the next six to 12 months, get to be more like a seven, where you're running a business, you have a few systems in place, maybe you're still doing some of the creative work and working on some of the projects, but you're really starting to manage a business a little bit more. I'd like to take a quick break here uh, for just a couple minutes from our sponsors, and then I want to hear from you, Will, why you gave yourself that rating and how we can help you make that journey from one to seven. So we'll be right back in just a second. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. All right, you're listening to Freelance to Founder. We're back here with uh, Will Gibbons and Clay Mosley. We're talking about Will's business, uh, doing very well so far. And before the break, chatted about his 
own rating on the freelancer to founder scale. He's at currently at a one, wants to be a seven. And Will, I want to hear about why. Yeah, good question. So as you mentioned, I am definitely a freelancer. And, um, and this was a bit intentional. I had a lot of kind of debate, personal debate when I set my business up, if I wanted to kind of position myself as a studio with a brand that wasn't my name and everything like that. But I realized that I had gotten so far, uh, sorry, I'd gotten to where I have been because of my name and my recognition. And if I create a brand, then it feels like starting all over. So I just went ahead and um, made it clear that I am a company of one, a single person, my own name and my knowledge is what brings the value um, as far as my clients are aware. And um, so that's what pegs me as a freelancer now. And, it, and as you pointed out earlier, it takes a lot of time uh, to run the business outside of just the work that I'm billing for, of course. Right. Now, where I want to go eventually is that uh, is, is higher up the scale. And I think I did throw myself at a seven as far as a goal. And that would kind of like you said, I would be involved somewhat creatively, but um, perhaps a little bit more from a direction standpoint, not quite from a button pressing standpoint. Um, because I find that my, uh, I really like the process of, of generating the ideas and the, the, the final like deliverables of the video and everything or, or the animations that I do and stuff like that. But there's a lot between that initial discussion and then the final delivery that uh, at times feels tedious. Um, and to your point, if I was more at a higher level running the business, I could uh, work with more clients at this point. I kind of get working on one project and then it's like I'm full bore on that one project with that one client. And then I have to pass everything else that comes in my inbox along to friends, which I don't mind doing, but I'm at this weird stage where I feel like I need to be able to say yes to more projects to realize the revenue required to grow. So th I'm in this kind of weird stage. And, and, you know, you might call it a weird stage. I, I would love to hear Clay's thoughts, but it sounds like you're actually in the perfect position. If you already have friends that you're handing off projects to, and if you're saying no to projects, you can, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode about raising your rates. You can just charge more if you're turning down projects, or you could start to build a team. Even if it's subcontractors at first, you could start to build a team and processes around handing off projects instead of just handing them off. Instead, you know, you could retain that client relationship subcontract it out to uh, a friend and then, you know, maybe collect a, a portion of the profits and maintain that client relationship. I don't know. Clay, what thoughts do you have, man? Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, I, I, we've talked about in previous episodes about raising the fee because because uh, like if you are turning down projects right now, like inbound projects and you're having that consistent problem, then Press and I would both agree that your fee is probably not high enough. Um, I, I your fee needs to be. Uh, well, actually, let me, before I go into that, where do you think your fee is on a scale of one to ten compared to the industry? Like from one being the least expensive, ten being the most expensive. Boy, I'd have to guess a four, and the reason I say that is just because I am not. Um, I'm not a studio with a bunch of people and the and, and all the associated overhead. So compared to a studio where they may need to go to get this done, I am very cheap. But compared to mm -hmm. other freelancers, I'm on the high end. I've had companies tell or people tell me that companies tell me that because I am in that weird stage of like I have the expertise. I can compete with like, say, a very small studio. But um, 
but not beyond that. Um, and I also live in in LA, so you know uh, my hourly rate's a little higher than say a freelancer mm-hmm. living in the Midwest. So that's kind of where I'd say I'm at. Uh, so follow up question from that is why do you think like are you pricing yourself at a four um, for because you think you're because of the fact that you're a freelancer and not a studio, or is there another reason? My pricing is based on uh, first and foremost, making a project. uh, I don't know if I'd say profitable. Um, I've arrived at my uh, pricing based on where I've been able to sell projects, I guess. Um, I, I haven't had a ton of pushback. I've had a few say, no, you're too expensive, but I'd say not a majority of them. Um, Okay. And when they say you're too expensive, do they say why? Like you're too expensive for a freelancer or just, uh, you, you know, no, more, too much for our budget. Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting because of what I do is, is a bit of a, there's a lot of unknowns out there and it's not traditional. It's not photography or video. So sometimes people come in with a preconceived notion of what they have for a marketing budget and they say, okay, we want to digitize our entire catalog. And then there may be sticker shock because they don't realize I have to 3D model everything. I have to create all the labels, the materials, the lighting, the rendering takes time. And then I'm post-producing it in editing programs. So I'm doing the work of like five or six specialists all at once, um, which, you know, yeah, studio would charge more for. But I think someone coming into it not knowing that and assuming I'm just a one man doing, you know, one little job, um, my price might seem a little high, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So these ones that are coming in, kind of ignorant to pr- pricing yeah. uh, with what you do? Are they are they smaller brands or are they some of the more well-known brands? No, this would definitely be smaller brands who are in that that mid-tier probably um, where okay. they have probably fewer than 20 employees. Okay. So do you prefer to work with the bigger brands or do you like working with these smaller brands? Based on my experience, I've had best interactions and best uh experiences working with larger brands who have bigger budgets they seem to be able to identify the value i bring and give me a lot more autonomy (laughs) okay so so let's just say that the bigger brands uh are your ideal client right yeah so those are the ones from what you're telling me are not the ones that are giving you pushback is that an accurate statement yeah i'd say so yep okay so uh, I, I think you have to go back like with what you do and you said you do a little bit of animation, but animation, the industry in general, I think is very similar. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who have no idea what it costs to do an animation video. Um, and it, a lot of the smaller brands think it might cost like 500 bucks, but in reality, like a custom animation video costs thousands of dollars. And so, but the bigger brands, they know this, right? Um, but I, I think it all comes down to economics 101, supply and demand, right? Um, if your demand if your demand is high, but your supply, basically your time is low, then that means your your price point is it needs to be higher. So you might I think you need to be from a four to probably like a six or a seven at this point because yeah. Um, you know, it's just supplies, supplies low, demands high. And also from a sales perspective, um, you, you're, you should be, and this is any business. 
Uh, You should not have a product or service where you have no pushback to your ideal client. There should be a little bit of pushback. And so not so much to where you're getting rejected all the time, but I think I think you need to be have a price point where it's a little bit of an effort to sell it. In my this is my opinion. Now, I think if you are at that point and I know this doesn't make sense like to the to the listeners, like I know a lot of people are saying, "Well, why why would I price it at a point where there's some pushback?" Like and and the reason is, is because even though you might have a little bit of pushback and your conversions might be slightly lower. Like if you just sit there and do the math versus being like priced at a four out of 10 versus a seven out of 10, like you will make more money. You will. Um, and not only will you make more money, you'll, you will attract more of your ideal client that way. Um, because like these big brands, they know what it costs to do this type of stuff. And so I bet you, I would be willing to bet these these companies that are getting quotes from you, they're doing projects from you. Um, when you tell them whatever your price quote is, I bet they're thinking, wow, that's really inexpensive. And then they, they, they just sign on the dotted line and and work with you. So I don't know. That's my type, take on that. Um, so I think increasing your fee is going to be, I think that's your next step. Yeah, that makes it you. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I think the and I agree. I mean, I I think the reason I think I realized that fairly recently when I I saw, okay, the average time I'm on a project and I've actually been getting into doing animation almost exclusively now because it's become people keep asking for it and I keep creating it and um, and they're the most time consuming. And so if I'm on a project for six to eight weeks I could conceivably fill my calendar with six to eight week projects, but based on what I'm charging, I would just be hitting my like revenue goals. Um, and I'd obviously like to be able to do that without being booked 24 hours, you know, 365. Type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it sounds to me like maybe the, the problem that you brought up, at the beginning of, of the show and maybe even before we pushed record. So we'll summarize here, but the, that problem is goes hand in hand with this pricing issue. And from what I understand, it's you, uh, you want to be able to charge more potentially you want to be able to scale. And what I, what I'm hearing is you don't necessarily feel like you can charge more because uh, you're not an agency. You know, I heard, I heard words from you like, I don't have the kind of overhead or the kind of mm-hmm. you know personnel costs associated with my projects. I I'm the only one that does them. Like I heard a lot of that kind of talking, and I think one thing that might help with both of those issues, both the scaling and hiring and the charging more, is understanding that uh, quite often clients don't actually pay you for you know your personnel or for the hours that you put in. They just pay you for the final product and and not even really that they pay you for the value that your final product brings and so if you can identify how valuable it is for peloton to have the the right animation videos at ces right that is hugely valuable if they showed up without their videos there would be a major problem right and so it's not about like 
well, it, it you know, it took me six weeks, uh, 40 hours a week times whatever my rate is. And I don't have any offices or overhead. I don't have any employees to pay. So I'm, you know, I'll charge X, Y, Z. Well, in actuality, you should be saying, here's what they've hired me to do. And here's what it means if this doesn't happen for them. Uh, and here's what I bet they'd be willing to pay for the value that I'm bringing to their company. So I think maybe those issues can can be solved simultaneously because then as you are able to to perceive the value that you're bringing to your client you're able to charge more and as you charge more you're able to hire and subcontract some of those tasks or or start a team like a full full-time team that can help you with those projects as well and those can kind of you can kind of step stone bit by bit and up in price Mm -hmm. up in team up in price up in team until you've got an agency running yeah no that makes total sense and it sounds like yeah i've heard that written other places as like fair market value, like what does this normally cost in the marketplace? And that's one thing that I don't have experience with as I've never been employed by a service provider. I've always been, I've taught in the past, I know the software that I use, but I've never been part of an age. like I've never seen how much agencies bill for this type of stuff. Ah, I see. So I have to, Yeah, I'm kind of shooting in the dark there. And that's one thing I've wondered quite often, like how would I find out how much that stuff costs, you know? Um, you know, I, I, (laughs) you could go around and just call around if you wanted to like competitors and see what they charge. But honestly, I, I think the best thing to do is, is just to test it yourself. Like I personally don't, I don't like, cause I bet if you call your competitors, you're going to find that it's completely different from one spectrum one side of the spectrum to the other and it's going to be i think it's going to increase your frustration to do that um i bet preston has a couple of ideas um i would personally wouldn't do that i would just say like whatever you're charging now obviously there's not a lot of pushback to the big brands that you're you're wanting to cater to so i would just increase your price you know a little bit um and see and see what happens there I, and I would I would continually continuously increasing the price until you get a tiny bit of pushback um, where you're not winning 100 percent of the proposals that you're getting. Um, I think that that's kind of the price point just going from the the point that I was talking about before. I my opinion, that's the best way to do it. Um, and so I yeah, don't know, press, press I, I have- you might have a couple of ideas there. It's so funny because I was going to say very something very, very similar. And that was if you're dying to know market value, you could potentially say to one of your clients, hey, would you mind sharing? You know, we're looking at growing. That'll help you. We want to service you better. We're trying to figure out our pricing structure. Could you send me the bids that you got from the other companies on this project that we did together? If you have a good relationship with a client, you could potentially do that. But I was actually going to say the exact same thing Clay said, which is that, yeah, that 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 is almost as unimportant to me, at least as how much it costs you on an hourly basis. And some of these other outside factors, again, for me, it comes back to the value that you're bringing the client. And you don't know what that value truly is until you test it and you go up a little bit. I'm, I'm the same way. I've done, I've done it the exact same way. You just raise your price until you get a little bit of pushback, raise it a little bit more until you're uncomfortable with how, you know, if people are writing you off entirely, then of course, you've gone too high. You need to come back down. The thing is, you can always be negotiated down on a price. You come in with a bid that's too high, they'll try to talk you down. And then you can always accept that lower amount. So 
Yeah, I think there's some wiggle room there. Uh, I, I would follow what Clay said and, and keep increasing, increasing, increasing until you get too much pushback. And then maybe right around that spot would be be ideal. You know, you know, uh, uh, really, you know what we could do. I, I've never done this, but I think I think it would be really cool to do this if you have uh, those relationships with the, with your clients, like a good relationship where you can almost like where you can call them up like like a buddy. Um, if you could just ask them for feedback and be like, "Hey, uh, I just want to get some feedback uh, that will help my business," and and basically, if you just tell them, "Hey, you're grandfathered into this whatever." fee i'm charging you um but if you can just give me some feedback on what it is that you were you're willing you were willing to pay (laughs) um as a max uh you could try that i wouldn't ask every single client that i would only ask those that you're pretty close to and you have a really really good relationship with um that that could be potentially some good feedback there um i i think that's a good way but yeah i i wouldn't go call competitors uh at all that that's just going to increase frustration um plus also uh i i would also because you had mentioned too like you're in la so you charge uh you charge higher fees like i would i would get out of that mindset because honestly i think whatever if you're as good as what you say you are (laughs) um if since you're working with these bigger brands it sounds like you are i think you could charge the same price even if you were living in the midwest yeah, no, that 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 totally makes sense. Yep. Um, I think in the past, the reason that came to mind is like in the past, if someone's reached out and they said like, if they've asked me to do something that, you know, is like really tedious, but not a huge project. And, and basically I had already turned them down saying like, ah, it's not a fit for my time. Um, and then I think the advice that I gave them was if, if they're on a tight budget, they could look in, in somewhere other than New York, LA, Chicago, mm-hmm. San Francisco, uh, you know, places where their freelancers located there, I said, just as a tip are likely going to be more pricey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, you, uh, you say it's not going to be a right fit for your time. Um, have you, you know what I, I would do? Preston was spot on as far as like, you know, outsourcing to your friends who also do this same work. Um, you could still take on that client as, as you, right. Uh, but you can outsource it to your friend and you can put you can add a little, uh, little premium on top for management, like project management. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, a, an option there, but you know what I would do too is, you can almost take a wait list or you can schedule them out. I don't know. Have you ever done that? A good question. So the one one of the challenges that with that is the short answer is no. I haven't put anyone on a wait list um, because, uh, and I don't want to make assumptions here, but I know in say the graphic design world, most people can wait to get a new website. Generally speaking, they can put them on a wait list. In my case, it's almost always tied to a product launch, and then they and they always come to me like, "We need it in two weeks. We need it in six weeks. We need it in eight weeks." It's always a hard. <laughs> So that's so I've gotten in the habit of building a list that I I stay in touch with, and I say, hey, things are getting really busy. Uh, I'm starting to book out for the fall. Do you guys have any launches coming up? So I'm trying to get ahead of that a little bit. It's, but it's been less than a year, so it's not like I have a lot of time to draw on this. So I'm still building that relationship with that list. Yeah, that's a 
that, that's what I was afraid you were going to say is that <laughs> a lot of this stuff is based off product launches. Um, are those product launches, whenever they say that, is, is it with the bigger brands or the smaller ones? Yeah, usually the larger brands. I mean, usually the smaller brands, I think they kind of know they don't have as much leverage and they're like, ah, just as soon as, like the sooner is the better, you know, that type of thing. So this, I, I almost want to say, I almost want to say that being a solo freelancer is probably not a feasible thing, a feasible model for your industry. Maybe not. If that's what the big brands are doing, if they're just saying, hey, uh, we have a we have a product launch coming up in a couple of weeks. We need this, um, and if, if that's a common thing, if that's a common situation that you're running into, you might have to just scale with a team. Yeah, so I have a tight knit group of friends who do similar work, and we're scattered across the world. And thankfully, we kind of share work with each other whenever we're too busy. But the latest trend is we're always all too busy, um, and. And that's, and that's where it's like, that's where I've thought about, well, hmm, how do we kind of, how do I scale? I, I think there's a couple of things that you can try because with, we're talking about time here, right? Like your time is super finite. Um, so I would start thinking about uh, how you spend your time. And we, Preston and I have talked about this in a couple of episodes, but there's, there's going to be a, a few things that you can do that's going to free up your time, I think. And I would start thinking about because you as a solo business owner, you are doing things. I'm I'm sure you're doing things related to your business that is not related to your projects, right? For example, accounting might be one of them or administrative task might be another, right? Definitely. Can you ballpark for me in a percentage how much of your time working is spent doing those small things like that that's not related to a project? I'm not sure if I'm able to give a good answer on that. Um, I know okay. I know there's a lot of time that goes to it, but I tr- what I've tried to do is just basically charge enough on a project that I can just stop tracking my time um, and not worry about it. But I know for a fact that um, it does eat into it. It does eat into my time for sure. Yeah, you need. So first of all, you need to track it. You need. So you not knowing the answer, I think, is a is a problem. Um, so I think you need to be very clear on what you're spending your time on because I don't know how much you charge. Let's say you charge 300 bucks an hour. Like, you know, I don't know how you, how you charge it or whatever, but let's just break it down by the hour. Um, if you're doing some administrative tasks, that's a very, that's a very, uh, expensive thing to do for 300 bucks an hour. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, or even accounting, right? You can, you can, you can uh, pay somebody to do your accounting, which you should. Any, any listener that's listening, uh, if you're not an accountant, I think you should, you should pay an accountant to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you should, step one, figure out where your time is going. Step two, figure out what you can outsource to somebody uh, that will cost you considerably less. And that therefore will free up some of your time. And I bet you'd be surprised how much time you free up by doing that. Uh, so because that time that you free up, that could be spent doing projects. And that could equate to, I don't know, six to eight more projects or 10 to 12, however many that is. You know, Clay and I 
recommend that you don't hire the same person that you are anyway. A lot of times that just leads to uh, frustration and not being able to do the the various tasks that need to happen in a company. I'm really close to what I do. And I really like what you guys mentioned as far as being able to say, well, hey, you got this one skill that is worth a lot on an hourly rate. So just you be that and then hire around you everything else away so you can do more of that. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I think that needs to sink in and that I could probably take action on for sure. Because um, cool. and, and I know that that's going to be easier to find than what I do because um, I do believe I've kept busy because I'm I'm in this weird. Yep. Uh, I serve a few people with a very specific type of software and and it's not the same yeah. stuff that's used in say the entertainment industry. So there's a there's a differentiator there. I think it may just be a bit of a um, a bit of a, a a mind shift. It seems like both of you offered good advice as far as project pricing. I think that that's the biggest thing I need to get over is is the confidence to push that a bit. Um, I do charge per project, not hourly. But on this very last mm-hmm. project I just wrapped up, um, I did track every single um, hour for the first time because I was curious. So this was, it sounds like I'm kind of figuring out what Clay said is you, you really do need to know where mm-hmm. your time's going. And with that, I think I came out just to under $100 an hour, whereas my goal is closer to between 150 and three, like you said. So that shows that there's a lot of room there that I, I either need to cut down what I'm doing in certain areas, hire away, like you said, or the project itself needs to become bigger. Yeah, I think it's a, a super tough thing to juggle because whenever whenever I, I we were talking about like tracking your time, I think it's good to track your time on an hourly basis as far as like what you can outsource to people. Um, but whenever it comes to pricing, uh, Preston would agree with this. You, you have to get hour, out of that hourly mindset. Yeah. Um, and so like whenever you're increasing your pricing, um, it's uh, Preston talked about this earlier. It's, it's value. But what you're selling is what, the transformation, right? You're selling the transformation. It's not what they're getting. It's it's what what that it's what that video or that deliverable is going to do for them. You're selling right? you're selling like the wow moment at CES yes. for Peloton. You're not you're not even selling an animation video. And yeah, you're not responsible for the whole presentation, but but it's part of that piece of value. You're selling mm-hmm. that they get in all of the major news outlets and that they get, you know, a huge feature at the show and that everyone crowds around the booth and all of this stuff that, that is way more valuable to them than an, than an actual animation. Yeah. A good example, you know, do you guys know, uh, beach body P 90 X? Yeah. DVDs. Yes. Yep. So, so a good example is they're not selling a eight disc or eight disc DVD set, Right. Uh, and unfortunately, this is what people. This is how people try to sell their services. They say, "Okay, you get an eight disc DVD set." What they're actually selling, what Beachbody is actually selling, is they're selling an eight disc DVD set that's a transformational uh, guide and and video set that will get them a much leaner body, getting ready for the summer. They're selling the beach body. And actually yeah. there's they're selling your friends all going, Wow, you look great. Yes. Uh yeah, that's a great point. And obviously so I can sell the same thing. Like you want NB yeah. across your competitors and, and and your 
you want lust in the eyes of your audience, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, I brought this up uh, maybe, maybe last episode. I can't remember. There's this framework called the jobs to be done framework. And it it was um, sort of pioneered by this guy at Harvard uh, in a Harvard business school. Uh, Christensen, I think is his last name. And, uh, and it talks all about like the real work that you're doing is not actually the job that needs done. So if someone comes into a hardware store, I shared this example last time, they're not there to purchase a drill, even though they are looking to purchase a drill. What they're actually trying to purchase is a hole. What they need is a hole in something, you know, the wall or, or a piece of wood or something. So they go <laughs> in to buy a drill, but they really need a hole. And so you have to almost like think down the line, why, why, why? You ask why lots of times is what he recommends, right? And you get down to, okay, why do they need an animation video? Well, because they're going to be at CES. Well, but why do they need the animation video for CES? Well, uh, because all of the major news outlets are going to be there. Well, why does that matter? Oh, because they want to get a, a feature on, on you know, a hundred top tech outlets within 24 hours of unveiling their new product. Okay, why? Uh, because they estimate <laughs> if they can do that, then they can make X dollars in sales. Okay, now we're getting to like a value that you can say, if they're going to make $7 million, then how much is this animation actually worth? Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, you know you, what, yep. You know what a good activity is? A good activity is you you say, how much how much are you making dollar wise in a monthly basis, right? Uh, let's say hypothetically you're making five thousand dollars a month, right? Um, and then the next step is, uh, how much do you want to make? Okay, I want to make fifteen thousand dollars a month. Okay, the difference there is ten thousand dollars a month, right? So now you can ask yourself, what by not hiring or outsourcing these tasks, that is costing you $10,000 a month. So I, I think that's a good exercise to kind of think about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Focusing almost on the, uh, is that opportunity cost more or less? I mean, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Yeah. I totally get you there. Um, more, yeah. more being on, yeah. Cause people are afraid of, of losing what they have, but they should be afraid of not being able to get what, they could have, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, businesses, business owners should be making decisions based off where they want to be, not where they're currently at. Uh, yeah. Um, if if every business owner was making a making decisions based off where they currently are in their business, they are totally bottlenecking themselves. Now, one hundred percent. Well put. That makes sense. Very well said. Well, with that, guys, I think we need to round out this episode. Will, I hope that's been helpful. We'd love to check back in maybe in a little while, see how some of this has gone for you and where your business is at. Would that be okay? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, guys. Cool. Killer. Well, thank you so much for taking time to jump on a call with us today. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Will. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of The Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time, see ya.